This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Aaron Caffey and the Caffey family murders? First, I'll look at the background of this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. In early 2008, 16-year-old Aaron Caffey lived with her family in Alba, Texas. This is about 80 miles east of Dallas. Alba is a very small town. About 400 people live there. Aaron's father, Terry, was 41 years old. He was a home health aide. Her mother, Penny, was 37 years old. She was a substitute driver for a company which delivered meals to members of the community who were in need. Aaron had two younger brothers, Matthew, age 13, and Tyler, age 8. When Aaron was 13, her family moved to Alba from a small town about an hour away. Terry and Penny decided to move there in order to be closer to their church. The entire family was active in church, where they played musical instruments and sang. After moving to Alba, Aaron and her brothers were initially sent to public school. About a month into the fall semester, a girl approached Aaron in the hallway at the school and kissed her. Terry and Penny were upset by this. They pulled all three children out of the school. The children were homeschooled for a few years. In July 2007, Aaron turned 16 and found a part-time job as a waitress at a Sonic fast food restaurant in a nearby town. This is where she would meet a 17-year-old named Charlie Wilkinson toward the end of the summer. The two became romantically involved. In December, Aaron asked if she could return to public school, as her brothers did the beginning of that semester. After this, Aaron and Charlie spent even more time together. They had sex, and Charlie gave Aaron a ring, which he referred to as a promise ring. Aaron's parents did not like Charlie. Terry said that he had a bad feeling about him, like Charlie did not show him respect. They restricted the contact between the young couple to one time a week. Aaron and Charlie were not happy about this. They planned on running away together when Aaron turned 17. In February 2008, Penny caught Aaron talking to Charlie on the phone after 10 p.m., which was against the rules. Aaron's parents suspended the weekly visits. Penny checked out Charlie's MySpace page and found references to alcohol and sex. On February 27, Aaron's parents told her the relationship with Charlie was over. Aaron made it seem as though she was relieved, telling her parents that she had wanted to break up with Charlie for some time, but just didn't know how to do it. In reality, Aaron was furious. She talked to her friends about killing her parents. Her friends said that she was constantly introducing the idea of murder to the point that her friends were tired of hearing it. Aaron convinced her boyfriend, Charlie, that killing her parents was the only way they could be together. Charlie, in turn, offered a friend of his named Charles Allen Wade $2,000 if he would help him with the murders. I will refer to Charles Wade by his last name to avoid confusion. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. Sometime around 1.30 a.m. on March 1, 2008, Aaron was with her family in their house when Charlie, Wade, and Wade's 18-year-old girlfriend, Bobby Johnson, pulled up to the house in Bobby's silver 
Dodge Neon. Erin exited her house and climbed into the Dodge. The four conspirators drove around for about an hour, discussing what they should do next. Charlie suggested to Aaron that they should run away together, a suggestion he made multiple times before, but Aaron maintained her pro-murder agenda. The conspirators returned to the Caffey family home. The plan was for Charlie and Wade to enter the Caffey home. Charlie was to kill Aaron's parents, while Wade killed Aaron's brothers. The two men had a 22 caliber pistol and two samurai-style swords with them. Charlie explained to Aaron that it was necessary to kill her brothers in addition to her parents. They wanted to be sure that there were no witnesses to the crime. Aaron allegedly responded, I don't care, just do what you gotta do. Charlie and Wade entered the house as Aaron and Bobby waited in the Dodge. Once inside, Charles and Wade made their way to the first floor bedroom where Terry and Penny were sleeping. Charlie shot at the couple with his pistol a few times before the weapon malfunctioned. He handed the gun to Wade, who cleared the action and fired two more rounds. Wade then used his sword to attack Penny. He almost decapitated her. Terry survived the attack, but was seriously injured and unable to move. He had been shot several times. He eventually lost consciousness. Charlie then made his way upstairs to murder Matthew and Tyler, who by this time had locked themselves in Aaron's bedroom. He ordered them to go back to their bedrooms. As they were walking, Wade shot Matthew in the face from downstairs. Matthew was on a balcony. Wade then came upstairs and stabbed Tyler to death. At this point, the killers probably believed that they had murdered all four occupants of the house. They did not realize that Terry was still alive. From their point of view, the murder part of their crime was complete. After stealing a number of valuable items, the killers poured lighter fluid on the furniture and set the house on fire. They drove around for a while before Wade dropped off Charlie and Aaron at a trailer owned by Wade's older brother. After this, Charlie and Aaron had sex. Terry regained consciousness and managed to exit through a bathroom window as the house burned. It took Terry around an hour to crawl about 900 feet to a neighbor's house. The neighbor called the authorities. Terry told the neighbor that Charlie Wilkinson was responsible for the crime. Terry was transported to the hospital. He survived his injuries. The police quickly found everyone involved. Aaron told the police that she woke up in her house and noticed it was on fire. Two guys with swords ordered her to get on the floor. She did not remember how she ended up in the trailer. The police initially believed Aaron, thinking that she was a victim. After both Charlie and Wade said that Aaron was the mastermind, Aaron was charged with capital murder, just like the other three conspirators. In October 2008, Charlie Wilkinson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Charles Wade would suffer the same fate. In December, Aaron was given two life sentences to be served consecutively, plus another 25 years. She could be released after 40 years at the age of 59. Abby Johnson received two 40-year sentences to be served concurrently. She can be released after 24 years. Terry remarried, quit his job, and became a minister. Based on the last update I saw right before making this video, Terry still has regular contact with his daughter. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Now moving to my analysis. It seems fairly clear that Erin was guilty of conspiring to kill her parents and brothers. I think it's likely she was also the ringleader. It was her idea, and she pressured Charlie into participating. On the night of the murders, Erin called Charlie 13 times in just over two hours. Erin talked to her friends all the time about murdering her parents, and several months before she started dating Charlie, she asked a boy who she kissed at church to murder her parents. I can just imagine the boy saying something like, we just met and I feel like you're rushing things a bit. Would it be possible to start with something like shoplifting or writing bad checks and work our way up from there? After Aaron was arrested, she manipulated a mental health counselor by saying that Charlie killed her family because she broke up with him. The counselor initially believed Aaron. He implied that she was genuine, sincere, and extremely convincing. He fully believed in her innocence until he was made aware of the evidence. It appears as though Charlie repeatedly asked Aaron to go with a different plan, one that did not involve homicide. He told her that he wanted to get her pregnant, believing this would force her parents into accepting him. Aaron told him that she was too young to get pregnant. Murdering her parents was the only way they could be together. Aaron's history may explain some of her behavior, although her actions remain a bit of a mystery. People said that Erin was naive, sheltered, and was not popular with her classmates when she attended public school. Erin's academic performance was poor. Her parents took her for a mental health evaluation, and she was diagnosed with ADHD. Her parents took her to church every Sunday and to a Bible study every Wednesday night. In addition, they practiced playing instruments and singing several hours each week to prepare for the Sunday services. Aaron would sing at the church, and she attracted quite a bit of attention from teenage boys. They would make advances on her regularly. She thrived on the attention and would flirt with them. Aaron became highly interested in sex. When she met Charlie Wilkinson, he became highly interested in having sex with her, so they were in agreement on this topic. People said that Charlie was infatuated with Aaron. He would talk about her all the time and refer to her as his soulmate. He believed they were destined to be together. 
It didn't take long for Aaron to manipulate Charlie. I don't think Aaron was actually good at manipulating people, despite what happened with the mental health counselor. I think that Aaron was good at lying. The reason she could manipulate Charlie was his gullibility and the fact that he was desperate to have sex with her. Charlie was able to recruit Charles Wade with the promise of money, and Bobby appears to have gone along with the plan simply because Wade was her boyfriend. It is unusual to have a conspiracy involving four people where only two people really have anything meaningful to gain. The theme of this case appears to be how young people can mature unevenly. That is, along certain dimensions, they can mature rapidly, and in other dimensions, they can lag behind. Here's what I think happened in this case. This is just a theory, my opinion. Aaron was naive and sheltered from the world. Her parents had very strict rules about morality. As Aaron developed a desire to have sex, she felt guilt and shame. But at the same time, she was very curious and excited. There was no way for her to rectify her parents' values with her own desires. Either her parents were bad and wrong, or she was bad and wrong. But there was no in-between. Aaron did not have the maturity to control her feelings or to see situations in shades of gray. Her desires were more powerful than her ability to control them. In addition, Aaron had a number of psychopathic characteristics, like being deceptive, manipulative, and having a lack of empathy. Without any factors to regulate her desires, she did everything possible to satisfy them. Her psychopathic characteristics allowed her to view murder as acceptable. It occurred to Aaron that she could kill her parents. She didn't care if her parents or her brothers suffered. She had no connection to them. They were simply obstacles that needed to be removed. Without her parents, there would be no guilt and shame, and any type of moral crisis would be resolved in Aaron's favor. At least that's how she thought about it. Aaron probably would have never acted on her homicidal thoughts directly, like she would not have personally carried out the murders. She had the motive, but did not have the means. When Charlie came along, Aaron realized that he was the other piece of the homicidal puzzle. She easily manipulated him into carrying out the crime. Aaron had no appreciation of consequences. She had no other goals in her life that would weigh against her desire for sex, like she wasn't thinking about a career, or friends, or hobbies, she was completely focused on her one desire. This idea of maturing unevenly puts a person out of balance. People understandably grow concerned when they encounter a person who has an ability or aspiration which develops ahead of their power to restrain that ability or aspiration. It's like if a first grader somehow obtained superhuman strength, or if a baby was put in charge of an entire country, which is otherwise known as the Donald Trump effect. Whenever this happens, it puts people at risk. I think what happened in the case of Aaron Caffey is that there was a terrible confluence of circumstances that led to an unusual crime. The conspiracy occurred mostly because of immaturity, impulsivity, gullibility, strong desire, and excitement seeking. Any one or two of those ingredients might be harmless, but when they all came together, it destroyed the lives of everyone involved. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. 
This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars longa, vita brevis. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.